0: of the future we are back and we're going to talk about being normal today
1: (laughs) oh yeah with the vp debate right yes it was i didn't watch the trump biden debate so i had a meeting and listened to a little bit on the npr i listened to five minutes of it on npr and got pretty much the full picture of what was going on
0: Right. You know That's what? And you, so many people that I have talked to said that exact same thing. And that was my feeling. I wanted to see how they came out. And after watching for three minutes, I was like, mm, I'm not, not really going to stick with this, I think. Um, and literally, I probably talked to five people who have told me, yeah, I saw how they were going to go. And I just kind of went, all right. Well.
1: well, really, a debate is really not what it, you hope it to be. Most of the debates are theater. Yeah. It's like two people on a stage... Not actually trying to persuade anyone, it seems like, because most people by this point have made up their minds who they're going to vote for. Yeah. So, like, it'd be nice to have these debates, like, I don't know, in the summer, when people are actually, when the two candidates have now been presented as the two uh, people running for president. That seems like the proper time to have a debate, not a few weeks before the election starts, but actually happens.
0: Yes, right. Now, um, this is a, a, a great kind of venue and topic uh, for you and I to be talking about, because I think we come from dramatically different places, not necessarily in uh, our politics, like I'm not gonna act like we're so far apart, but certainly in our political backgrounds, and uh, and, and, it, and it's a place where our uh, backgrounds is like where we grew up, and kind of our life course is very different, because. Tell you what, uh, in some ways, I think today I will say I'm. I will speak multiple times in defense of small town America. Sure. And also in um, representing small town America, where I uh, I grew up in one. Not that I know all the small towns, but hey. Um, and and so the two articles are going to be great uh, today because uh, first of all, talking about starting out, talking about. Being normal. We're not saying that you and I are normal. We're talking about this article from Peggy Noonan. Uh, Love in, Peggy I do too. In the Wall Street Journal, called Biden, Pence, and the Wish for Normalcy in America. The, I'm sorry, Biden, Pence, and the Wish for Normalcy uh, by Peggy Noonan, and uh, she she talks about how any little moments we have gotten that felt normal have been uh, such a breath of fresh air, and that's certainly. Uh, true to me and then a little later we'll talk about another Wall Street Journal article called Is the Supreme Court Too Catholic by Matthew J.
1: which I'm mm. totally looking forward to talking about the Supreme Court with you because yeah. you know it's such a yeah it's such a, a big issue it's such a hot button issue that divides a lot of people um, and uh, the Supreme Court has so much power right now. Yes, like it, it has more power than the president. I mean, really, it comes of like well, making yeah. swift, swift change. Yeah, and it was not the framers' intentions right. with right. with trying to basically uh, build an oligarchy with nine people making mm-hmm. major political decisions okay. uh, or even cultural decisions mm-hmm. in the United States. Uh, and so it's so fascinating how that that one chair mm-hmm. is so fought over because it's a lifetime. Um, uh, position, right? right? I mean, right. Ruth Bader Ginsburg was in that seat until she died.
0: Yeah, and <laughs> man, that that, that, in that of itself alone up an issue, yeah. is, um, in some ways it feels very un-American to yes. have this lifetime appointment. It's like a king and queen. Right, it's like right? the Pope. Yeah. You know, uh, it's very strange. Yeah. Um, but I, isn't it that way uh, because the system wasn't designed that judges... Uh, would be so powerful. It was designed very much that, you know, judges just were, were considered to look at the law and then rule impartially right. as to what the law says. Right. Um, and so then the, the only thing I can understand about why they might have set it up the way that they did is so that you would have a very stable mm-hmm. section of mm-hmm. government. Yeah. Uh, but that very stable section of government has now come to be so powerful and so fought over that it is the center of the fight. Uh, yeah. I mean, today, like at this moment, as we were recording the confirmation hearings uh, for Amy Coney Barrett are happening, mm-hmm. um, sometime this morning, hot things will be said. Mm-hmm. Uh, hot takes, as mm-hmm. some friends of mine say, will be had right. there in the uh, highly decorated uh Supreme
1: Court. But, obviously, the big issue, which you know, the court ruled on this past year uh, with Roe v. Wade laws in certain southern states. You know, uh, if if she gets if she gets appointed, which is most likely going to happen, right. uh, that puts, I believe, six conservative judges on the on the court. Which, if you're pro-life, is a positive thing, right? Because the thought is, is another, if if those those. Laws that were passed in Louisiana and Texas are appealed back to the court, you know, and and the court hears it. It's likely that they rule in favor for the other states. But I believe the only reason why it didn't, it, it, it you know, it, the court ruled against those laws was because uh, Justice Justice Roberts went with the more liberal side. Well, now he's if he continues. To side with the liberals, it's still going to be a five-four for conservatives. Right? If right. If, the, if it kind of goes that way, if right. she if she votes, and it seems that because of her religion, as we'll talk about later, that in um, her faith and her views on pro-life issues, that that seems like what will happen. So right. that's a huge cultural fight with pro-choice, pro-life type of
0: things. Yes, and so um, so we'll get into that. I I uh, I enjoy the track we're on today because. Strangely enough, I think that the idea of normal is just a really fascinating idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember I, I, when I was in uh, seminary, I subbed for years. I actually subbed uh, through uh, my first part-time ministry position. I also did substitute teaching, and then I uh, got out of doing that when I was full-time in ministry, and then got back into it when I was in seminary, which took a long time, as you know. Sure. You, you, know, you, kept, yeah, yeah. you kept going, so it took yeah, a long, yeah. long time for Yeah, you. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so... One time, I subbed uh, at a nearby high school for uh, it was really strange. It was a high school sociology class, and um, I made them. It was it was one of the most hilarious um, sub jobs because I went in there and there was a blank piece of paper with two statements on it. I hadn't planned to be gone. Do whatever you want. Signs i the sociology teacher. So I was like, wow, this is going to be a fun day. Movie. So what I did <laughs> is um, I told every class when I came in, I said, you know, first of all, I cannot believe that uh, you all have a sociology class in high school, which is hilarious. Yeah. Um, and then second of all, so uh, this is what he told me. Uh, I mean, if he was that brazen about what he's leaving for me, I just told them what he left. I said, So well, here's the deal. You have to answer uh, two questions uh, for me, and then you just do whatever you want. As long as you're willing to talk to me for like 15 minutes. Um, And so we talked about normal. Actually, I I asked them. I was like, "What are social norms like?" So, for instance, like, why do we shake hands when we meet people? Sure, it's a real which is in Japan they bow. bow. They right, they They bow. bow, And what is is the utility of shaking hands? What does it do for you if somebody shakes your hand or if somebody won't shake your hand? And 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 it was great. I mean, we had a good time talking about that. I think in high school there is a certain sort of. interest in kind of how people behave a lot of them are learning how to behave sure. and the value of some of these everyday sorts of things so we had a great time uh discussing those kind of things it's especially funny to be thinking about that right now i mean i remember when uh dr fauci came out i think overall he's availed himself well but i remember he came out one day and he said you know yeah i think we should just give up shaking hands all together i think we should be done with that as a western society i'm like Ooh, a little bit overreach there I don't know if you have that quite that as right. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you don't have to shake anybody's hand, but I think that I don't
1: think bowing goes to the Americans. <laughs> it's not to so it? <laughs> Yeah. My see? dad has a funny story. He went to he went to Japan because uh, he worked in Singapore. So he went to Japan, and he he was joking with me one day. How often the bowing goes on? Yeah. You know, it's a bow, and then you bow back, and then another bow, and a bow. Oh, wow. So like it's a constant little thing going on. Of, uh, and and obviously in that in Japanese culture, the honor, right? Mm-hmm. The, the expression and of honor, and handshakes don't really express honor the way a bowing right, does, right? Right, right. right. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I, you know, I wonder what will happen like when it comes to greetings, and I still think handshaking is a very American thing to do, right? Since if equality, right? We right. come together, this right. type of thing, but um, yeah, it's interesting to see kind of what normal will be yes. as we go forward, and obviously we're talking about normalcy when it comes to political uh, communication and political debate and things like that, but normalcy is a huge word right now, because people want to say, well, when are we going to get to normal? It is What is the new normal, the newer, yes, uh, right. uh, so uh, that's that's an interesting thing. like it's interesting to kind of think what will be the new normal and also kind of the as people say i just want to get back to normal Mm -hmm. as a sense of just frustration Mm -hmm. and and complaining and i think politically people want to get back to normal and i think even because peggy noonan is, is a republican and conservative she worked for ronald reagan and i mean i don't think she's overjoyed about joe biden uh you know, being the president, per se, but, you know, she's written quite often about her disdain for Donald Trump. Right. Um, and, I, and I think for on her on her end, it's, you know, she worked for Ronald Reagan, kind of the... Well, she was a speechwriter. She was for a speechwriter yeah. for President Reagan. And, you know, Reagan is seen as kind of the, the model of the Republican president. Trump is the antithesis of, of that. And I could see her kind of, like thinking Ronald Reagan's rolling in his grave to know that Donald Trump is the right. president and the Republican, yeah, yeah, So for her, you know, but I think there is a sense where like maybe Americans, I know she talks about in this article that maybe Americans are willing to vote for Biden just because, Hey, he's, he's normal. <laughs> right.
0: I, I saw, uh, David French put out on Twitter, Twitter the other day, um, just a short video of Joe Biden, um, giving a pin to a little boy and uh, and I, I think um, the the captioning put was if he just shows this video every day until the election he will win. Yeah. Because these, these sort of things where you can just, hey look everybody I'm a normal guy who's just not angry at the world. Um, and who knows, I mean uh, because here's one thing, the way she starts this article, she talks about how uh, nobody wants to go out on the limb and be honest right. about where the polls are. Right, right. Because uh, the polls aren't good. For of Trump. Because of the 2016 election. Right, right. When uh, Donald Trump was polling behind. Uh, and, and it was kind of like there have been times in the past where polls seem to show the race going one way, but the polls, the polls along with the culture, really <laughs> were behind Hillary Clinton. Right. And then all of a sudden, I mean, I remember so many things from those days that were strange about Saturday Night Live having Hillary uh, Clinton—not herself, but somebody playing Hillary Clinton who's singing on the piano about how she's winning—and so many things going out there, uh, just of you know, looks. uh, Wow, here we go. You know, it's going to be our first woman president. So many things pre-celebrations that that all of a sudden went wait, wait, what now? What happened? And so I know
1: how this feels because on Saturday, this this past Saturday, my. Beloved volunteers were playing the University of Georgia, and Tennessee is Owen, It's been Owen thirty three against top five teams, right? Yeah, yeah. And so it's like, oh, this is a big game, and I'm watching the game. Tennessee's winning at halftime, uh-huh. twenty four to twenty one. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, they're winning twenty one to fourteen. So they're uh-huh. winning this game, um, and it's like, oh my gosh, you know. Tennessee had this really um, impressive stop at the end of the second, first half. I'm like, that's a signal that we're going to win this game. Well, in the second half, we went all downhill from there. And I bet that's got like, a lot of people who are like Hillary fans. Like, all this momentum built up. Like, all the science had shown how we're going to mm-hmm. win. There's no way. And then all of a sudden, it just, boom, yeah. drops immediately. Right. And you're like, what happened? Like, a, a boulder just, like, smacked you in the face. Right. And you're just still trying to figure out what just happened, right. um, and and I think a lot of people are like a little hesitant because of that event right. to go. There's no way Trump's gonna win,
0: right? And mm-hmm. and you know, and I think it's fair. You know, polling has many weaknesses. That is sure. well known. Yeah, I think uh, a polling class in, in college. Yeah. So so that's that's a fact. Mm-hmm. It's funny though because um, she talks about how people who would prefer for Donald Trump to lose are not going to go out on that limb, but also people who uh, are in the Republican Party are not willing to go out on that limb either. It's very, very dangerous to oppose an incumbent <laughs> of your party. Right. <laughs> Even I mean, a Donald Trump style of incumbent. And yeah. so there is just this silence yeah. on both sides right now yeah. about polling. Yeah. Very rare. I mean, and, and I know you love the West Wing. One of yeah. the things that threw me off and I found sort of, uh, distasteful about The West Wing is I sat there and I was like, these people talk about polls all the time, all day, every day. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And I would not want to live in that world. Yeah, I don't even like thinking about people living in that world. Right. And these people are just walking around every day, going, "Hey, I got this poll from Nebraska, right. and it's telling us this."
1: That. Well, yeah. Think about it if you at First Southern, if they just took a tracking poll every day about how people. Do they like the sermon on right. the same day? What did you think about that first song? Yeah. We sped it up a little bit. Yeah. What do you think about that tempo? Yeah. Oh goodness, no. Yeah, and you asked, and he asked the question didn't, did phrasing, and then he's like, well, sixty percent of the people liked it, but the forty percent, twenty percent didn't like it, and the twenty percent are kind of like, I don't know. Right. And you're How like, what do we do with it? those yeah. 20%? Oh, But in that, we're like sixty percent. That's that's
0: good. Yeah. Oh, that's gosh. great. Sure. Yeah. Forty percent hate us, but but the sixty love us. Right. Right. <laughs> so that was um, that was tough. Uh, and so knowing that that is politics, I mean, mm-hmm. and, and really, in a lot of ways, that's the only way to keep score until you have sure. a vote, is that's polling. Right. That's right. Um, it, it, is, it was honestly uh, very strange to me to think, uh, and it is still strange to me to think that for uh, a, a lot of people, this is what their life revolves around, just polls for, for years. They're just polling data, and then they have the big, uh, the big votes every couple of years, every four years in particular, uh, and then they just have polls that they're relying on for where the country is and what people probably think. But then, meanwhile, in this current time, they don't want to publicize those polls uh, because uh, it it, certainly America is a funny um, place, I think, and really I would say funnier than even even Europe and, and some other places that are also part of Western culture because people are very sensitive in this country to things like Oh, you're gonna throw a poll in our face? Well, we'll show you. We'll vote the other way. Right. I mean, people are like right. that. They're very fickle in, right. in, in politics. And right. I know. I mean, this is where I, first time I, I'll mention small town people. Small town people are extremely fickle. Right. If if they hear of some, you know, elite leader who says, well, then obviously since there's polls, it's gonna be like this. Those be like, no, I'll show you. Right. I don't care. Right. I'll Do the opposite. Right. You know, it, it is there is great sentiment in this country to stick it to the man. Yeah, great. Like a lot of sentiment has been for a long time. Yeah, I think it
1: really. Of course, there's difference. You have different publications like magazines and other mm-hmm. things. Even universities, right? Will do polls, but then you'll have internal polls. Mm-hmm. You'll have like the actual campaign will do their own polling and do all interi- internal. So like. When you but then there's there's a you're, those polling will never get leaked right you'll hear like vague things like well our internal tracking poll sees us you know closer or winning in Pennsylvania you're like right, well right. Uh, MSNBC says you're down by five percent with a plus or minus of three percent right, right. Uh, and you're like well our internal polls has us winning by two it's right. like well and that's kind of a biased eternal so like it, it's it's so crazy it's you have different, of course, you can, the other issue with polling now is, like, how they go about doing polling is, you know, a lot of it's still done, like, old-fashioned ways with, like, line, like, 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 um, um, uh, call, instead of calling cell phones, they're calling, like, people's, like, landlines, hard, landlines. Oh, wow. and so, like, who owns a landline, and so the polling are, are a little um, not accurate there, um, I, I get poll, I get uh, poll, like, letters in the mail, I could fill out these things, and they're mm-hmm. probably doing some type of polling through that. But who's actually... Because they don't actually pay for the postal. You have to actually pay to, for the postal, and they send you one of those in the mail. Right. Who's going to actually... I mean, right. getting, I've gotten several, and I actually filled one of them out and then didn't turn it in. Because yeah. Yeah. I don't want to put right. a 60-cent or whatever-cent postal on the on the letter. So it's so... It, it, polling is so, like, not a very accurate science, um, and... You know, and obviously, as as Peggy Union says, the reason why they're not willing to go out on the limb because if Republicans say, "Yeah, there's no chance Trump's going to win," well, that will affect other sure. races, right. other Senate races. And you talk to diehard Republicans, sure, they would they would probably prefer Trump winning over Biden, but they're what they're really concerned about is the Supreme, is is the is the Senate mm-hmm. and the, the mm-hmm. effect Trump will have right. on those Senate races. Like Lindsey Graham right. is in a dogfight in South Carolina. And will Trump affect – like if, if, if Republicans know there's no chance that Trump's going to win, that means they're more, less likely to go to the polls. Mm-hmm. So that, therefore they're less likely to actually vote for their Senate race. So it's just a lot of different uh, cards being played, right. and if, it's a very complicated uh, situation. So you can't just go out and say, yeah, I don't think Trump has a chance. It'll affect a lot of other races.
0: Yeah, so there's the the first quote that I especially picked up on. She says, uh, this is how a lot of Republican political professionals sound to me, ready for a jailbreak and afraid to dig a tunnel. They don't know where the floor is soft, which direction gets them outside the walls. They believe the polls, they think the president is going down and is all too willing to pull the rest of the ballot down with him. A few will try to cut loose and he'll be gracious about it, uh, in the way, and he'll be gracious about it in the way Tony Montana was being gracious when he said, say hello to my little friend, which is with the machine gun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and so that, yeah, I, I certainly can understand that is the um, kind of vibe around uh, Republican offices there in Washington, that what do you do in this time where you have a candidate that does not look strong? And, yep. it, and this is not, um, I think that, there was a lot more unpredictable things going on in 2016 than there are now. It, it is just, it, unless something changes, it seems pretty certain that Donald Trump will not win this election. Uh, now, look, things can change. Politics uh, is yeah, up sure. to a minute in a lot sure. of ways. Um, <laughs> in the last week, it's been a crazy week because uh, there was a lot of sympathy for Donald Trump as the president uh, from even unexpected corners when sure. he had COVID. And sure. then I Honestly, I would say that turned around within a few days. As also, he came out of the hospital and had a few other things going on.
1: And SNL so, talks about him like basically breaking out of the hospital, like Sarah Connor does in Terminator, yeah. Terminator Two, where she like basically holds the the doctor hostage to get out of the hospital. And they were joking that's what Trump did. Yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> right.
0: It, it, that was that event in itself was just yeah. another chapter in kind of this strange. Uh, Yeah, sort of. And yeah, he gets COVID. Yeah. And the
1: just to kind of his will that say, well here's an example of his looseness with COVID guidelines and things as the president, but also as personally in the Mm -hmm. White House Mm -hmm. and and so therefore he can't be he can't be trusted, he can't be trusted to 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 follow um, to to actually lead the country with its particular pandemic and stuff. So or there's a sense of, yeah, sympathy. Right. You know, oh, oh, wow, this is, you know, maybe we, we maybe were wrong about this guy. Maybe we should, you know, give him a little bit of grace or something like that. I don't know how many, how many of that group of people, I think one of the groups of people that I've read about that are the real, the real players in this election and the reason why they're seeing the election go the wrong way for President Trump is white women. Um, that white men are probably still behind Trump those that voted for him in 2016 have probably not changed their mind, right? Um, but it's the women that voted for him that are, who have seen his character and seen his kind of, his outburst. And even the, even the debate kind of maybe even confirmed a lot of these things, uh, thought, thinking that will prevent them from voting for him because of his just chaoticness. And they're more likely to vote for Biden. Um, and with a woman on the ticket, they're even more likely to vote for Biden. Um, so that's the group that, who voted for him in 2016 who may not vote for him this go-around that right. could cause Biden to win. And as you have right here, could win
0: blowout. Right, yes. Yeah. She says uh, this is also a week that journalists and politicos in Washington began wondering about something they never expected to be thinking about this year. They are wondering if November 3rd won't be a win for Joe Biden but a blowout a landslide in a polarized country that doesn't produce landside, landslides anymore. Right. There's a lot of Trump fatigue is, is a very sure. strong statement that she follows it up with. And I, I think there is. I've seen that in various corners. And it's peaking at the wrong time for the president, she says. Even Trump supporters feel trapped inside a reality TV show and are powerless to change the channel. Uh, Trump might lose women voters by numbers we've never imagined. Uh, and here's where she gets to the normal part. Uh, if Joe Biden wins big, she says, part of the reason, maybe a big part, will simply be that he is normal, not he's such an accomplished legislator, not he's a man of the future or charismatic or warm, or he has such a moving backstory. No, he's, he's normal, and people miss normal uh, very much. Uh, so the, you know, you're, asked, you're saying like, you
1: know, landslides don't happen as much. I was thinking about when was the last time there was a big landslide? Well. In 1984, Reagan won 49 of 50 states. Walter oh, right. Mondale, who was VP for Jimmy Carter, uh, only won Minnesota. Wow. Uh, so I think that winning 49. I, I, I'm thinking through this, and I'm like, well, so uh, and there's a poll out again. About polls that Georgia, the state of Georgia, is a basically a tie. Wow. With with Trump, if, if Trump loses Georgia, obviously he's not going to lose Mississippi and Louisiana, yeah. and, but Florida, he's losing in Florida. Um, He's probably going to win in Tennessee. He's losing in North Carolina. So you think about all of these, these even these southern states that you think are kind of his firewall, or states like, I mean, North Carolina, uh, states like Virginia, states like Florida, states like Georgia could all go towards Biden. And so at the end of the day, you're like, all right, what states are left for Trump to win? You have maybe Kentucky, Tennessee, Arkansas, uh, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, maybe some of the kind of the plain states of oklahoma but texas is on is a battleground state right now so you just think of all the different states there's a chance that biden could win 40 plus states right and the thought of that as a for trump as a personality how that would be uh, how that would affect him and his kind of his base for that for him to lose that badly like that would be a A huge, like, you see this, like, you know, in 2016, you had this seismic change with Trump's presidency or campaign. We had all these different groups of people that even were Democrats that were voting for him. But then all of a sudden, you have this massive, like, just just blowout, landslide victory for normacy, basically. Why are you voting for Biden? I'm just tired of Trump. I'm tired of the chaos. Wow. What a quick shift back to, like, establishment. I mean, because Biden is, like, the definition of right, he's he's very in, He was He's a Senate for 47 years. Right. Yeah,
0: he, uh, he first ran for president in, what, like, 1984? Yeah, was he in there? Yeah. First, this is hilarious, because I think he might have been in there with the Ronald Reagan. I'll look that like up. German I'll Delta. see that. Yeah, I'll look uh, that up. Which would be just another layer of what a, what a hilarious, strange commentary on uh, politics in this country. Uh, and, and, I mean, the man is 77 years old, so if he wasn't in that one, he certainly could have been. Um, but he is in uh, his first presidential campaign that he ran for was uh, one of those in the 80s.
1: Yeah, uh, so Gary Hart, there's a movie about Gary Hart, if you're interested, called The Front Frontrunner. Um, that's an interesting little movie. Um, I don't see his name. Uh, oh, here's the candidates. Uh, Jesse Jackson. Ran for president. John Glenn, I guess, ran for president. Wow. I didn't know that. Uh, I don't see uh, – okay, declined to run. I don't see his name, but I think he did definitely run. It
0: must have been in 88. In 88, then.
1: yeah. Because um, I, th- I think there was a – there is some – I can't remember. Again, I wasn't – I was only a few years old, so I can't remember anything. But I just have to go back to what I've read or watched on either YouTube videos or something. That There was some issue that popped up with Biden – uh, one in that particular uh, primary, but yeah. Anyways, he's been around for a while. I mean, this is yeah. not the first time he's run for president, yeah, right. and it's not the second either. <laughs> he's right? For, he's been kind of in. He's just kind of been a, a, a and he, of course, obviously, he got to be VP for, for Obama. He wouldn't be sitting here if he wasn't VP for Obama. You know, he wouldn't be where he is right now. Right. So, um, but yeah, I mean, the the whole shift away from establishment with Trump, that's a quick shift back. Right. And, I, and I think that will cause the American population or the electric to kind of go, okay, we tried with the kind of um, all uh, kind of this no uh, not no name but unestablished uh, yeah. non Washington. Right. This is what we got. I don't think we really liked it. And then, or it's just is it particularly just Trump that Trump was unique in and of itself as a character.
0: Right. And. It, it, there are precedents in this country for an outsider candidate, especially to kind of talk about reform. You know, uh, Donald Trump talked a lot about draining the swamp and these sorts of things. Um, th- that has happened. I mean, um, I think probably the prototype, the very first, would be an Andrew Jackson um, who was definitely an outsider, never fit in in Washington. We're going way back uh, for Andrew Jackson, but still, mm-hmm. yet he is, he is an example of someone who had his own agenda, did right. his own thing. And, right. uh, and so there have been candidates uh, like that in, in a lot of ways. I mean, to talk about this from a normal standpoint that, look, this election is a referendum on the presidency of Donald Trump about so. what people think about how it's actually gone. Right, And I think that everybody again in a normal setting i think everybody should come out and say you know what there have been surprises i one thing that i've heard a lot in evangelical circles is look he came through on a lot of the appointments he said he would come through on we weren't sure he would and that has been a a surprise to a degree he has in some ways governed as a conservative though I, i don't i don't know a whole lot of people who would make the argument no he's He's a genuine conservative at heart. Right. But he is. He's very pragmatic. Yeah, he's pragmatic and he's yeah. governed to to appease his base. Right. And the, right. the people that voted for him, and in a lot of ways, it's kind of like a some sort of spoils system. He right. has just rewarded right. people who voted for right. him. And uh, that kind of transactional kind of candidate uh, in a lot of ways. But there have been surprises. I'm sure there were a lot of people who would have thought, all the Twitter stuff will calm down once he becomes there president. Uh, they were wrong. There they were wrong, wrong about that. Um, <laughs> very wrong. And and then there, you know, who knows uh, the books. I was thinking this the other day, that if, if this goes the way Peggy Noonan is kind of the picture that she's painting, boy, will there be books coming out for years and years and years about details of behind the scenes of uh, this presidency. You would just be certain of it. Yeah, I think you can just be certain. Yeah,
1: you'll have political scientists and other people just take advantage and, and just kind of comb the details and data and stories and, and just kind of like, all right, what have we learned? Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know, I, I've just thought about this now. You, you wonder, maybe that is the reason why Biden won the Democratic uh, primary is that Bernie Sanders in and of itself is a risk.
0: Yeah. Because he's,
1: yeah. yep. number one, it's so interesting that, he you know, he's not a Democrat, but right. an independent. He's
0: been for but, that, but
1: that's the kind of the issue. He's independent. He is his own man. He takes orders from no one. Right. Um. And he's a little bit a, you know, he has his own particular positions on things that are, that are, they become now more than normal of the Democratic uh, voters. But not enough of them hold to those views. Right. And um, and so they you see almost even the Democratic voters saying, yeah, I understand what you're saying, Bernie, but man, we just really need something
0: steady. Yes. And there's nothing more steady than Joe Biden. In uh, in some ways, consistent. Uh, you, know, you know, you would not have called him uh, level-headed say 10 years ago. He he definitely next to Barack Obama looked yeah uh, a little more aggressive. Yeah. Uh, He was known, I I, I mean, certain things that happened during uh, the presidency of Barack Obama, you know, they would catch Joe Biden saying cuss words about, you know, he's got a little bit of a foul mouth, He's a pretty aggressive personality, he's kind of a straight talker, however you want to say it. But yes, next to Donald Trump, uh, he appears a much more steady candidate, and he's certainly establishment in in the sense of uh, he knows what the Democratic Party has stood for, As far as I think about, as you were talking about what we have in the parties right now, the Democratic Party is much more of a coalition party right now. And in a lot of ways, the Republican Party is kind of like um, coasting on this old world idea about that we're all unified around a small government and some of these sorts of things. And Mike Pence really talked about that in the vice presidential debate. Um, Meanwhile, the Democratic Party is a genuine coalition. And I mean that both in a uh, sense that that's a lot of what politics is about, is coalition building, but also it's a lot more volatile. Like, we're going to see in the following, in the next 4, 8, 12 years, there will be challenges for the Democratic Party to keep this coalition together. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of to feed. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of desires <laughs> yes. that are going a lot of different directions. And not a lot of patience, no.
1: I would say. Right. Like, if they don't get... They're, they, you know, I was even... There were some that kind of like uh, dismissed President Obama because he wasn't quick enough to, to give give what they were hoping he would be quickly quickly would give because obviously he, he's just as pragmatic as any other politician, and he's got an opposition party he has to work with mm-hmm. to get anything done. And you can't just – and I think Americans continue to struggle, I think, as a young American, tend to struggle to understand what the president is. He's not a king. Um, he's on an emperor. He's on some kind of a, a person you you put in this position, and he snaps his fingers or her fingers, and things just start to happen. Sure. Sure. Um, and I think Americans, even though like when the Revolutionary War happened, we didn't George Washington wasn't king. You know, Alexander Hamilton and John Adams wanted to give him almost that title of of of, of kind of this this kind of supreme uh, right. position because they felt like he deserved it. And in some ways, they wanted America to have a strong. Executive uh, power, uh, almost to have a monarch, but America didn't didn't fight a revolution to have a new king. They fought to be a nation of that's ruled by the people. But I think Americans still kind of they almost arrived at this point where we that a lot of Americans want these leaders that they elect into office to just be able to do whatever they want, and and to almost to a point where uh that's why i think you see around the world this kind of a lot of democracies which are in a sense a loose democracies where you give in these these leaders into these positions and they pretty much i mean do whatever they want with very little opposition and that's a dangerous thing and i think even like liberals who hold to kind of more progressive views almost will almost fall into the same habits when their leader becomes In office Mm -hmm. or in power, oh, they should be able to do whatever they want because they won the election. It's like, well, this isn't how it works in the United States. There's opposition party, and America was built on the understanding that change happens very slowly. That's one of the issues that will come into the Supreme Court. Well, I think the Supreme Court is such an issue right now because things like gay marriage, for example. In the in in the 1800s or even in in the early parts of the 20th century, things like that wouldn't have happened so quickly. Even like civil rights happens slowly over time. Um, With gay marriage, it was like quickly there was a court case. Quickly that court case was in favor, a rule in favor of gay marriage, and all of a sudden it became law. That was a quick change, Uh, and and there was no law passed. There was no bipartisan bill. There was none of those type of things. It was just quickly. Supreme Court, Supreme Court, ruled, and I think that is a is a is a um, that I, the I think that 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 giving that particular
0: branch of the government way too much power, right? way too much power. Yeah. Um, Last thing that I will cite that she says here, uh, she says, "As for the vice presidential debate, neither candidate damaged the party's prospects or especially advanced them. You could view the evening as smirky versus smarmy, theatrical versus sedated, or dramatic versus dignified. And at different points, I did, but it felt normal. I wanted to say about the vice presidential debate that, oh, well, somebody's calling. Just decline. You supposed to You supposed to climb. Where is the climb? The red button." So I wanted to mention that um, I've I come in the last few years to be more interested in what they call the opinion class, pundits reading what people think is going to happen. And um, I, as we've talked about before, I've noticed that they really get into the details. And so week to week, they might say you know, things like, oh, it looks like uh, Russia could attack this week. Things could go really bad. It could all, you know. Oh, and, and they kind of overblow things. Because it, it's, it's a lot like, in, in that sense, a lot, a lot like watching a baseball game or a basketball game, the way the uh, announcers can get into such you know, detail about how well, this this one play here yep. could determine the whole course of the game um, and in, in a lot of ways watching the vice presidential debate I really kind of snapped out of uh, a certain line of thought that has been playing out for years now, literally years, which was Well, we've seen the end of manners and decorum in American politics. This is, no more will people respect each other. No more will people talk about about policy and issues because Donald Trump has changed the way it all works. And I think that's completely overblown. I sat there and I watched as Mike Pence and Kamala Harris talked about policy. They remembered statistics and data. They actually went back and forth about that data. Yes, they had different interpretations of it, but they actually gave each other space. Uh, I thought the moderator did a good job mm-hmm. in this vice presidential debate. Uh, it, it was one of these moments where all of a sudden you just go, oh, there are th- there, there is give and take in politics yep. still. Uh, it's not all turned into what the presidential debate was, which was just uh, half sentences thrown at each other for ninety minutes. Yeah. Uh, very disappointing. And, yeah. And so there are others who are looking to do something different yeah. than that. And I'm yeah. glad. Yeah. And I
1: think you know, uh, I guess politicians, especially at that level, are recognizing that people want like substance. They want the. And now here's the deal. There's a difference in what people want and what news shows <laughs> sure, sure. want. Sure. And I think that is the point—I don't know if 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 I've talked about this on here or not, but the the one to—and I hate to kind of like harp on media. I can't always say it's the media's fault, but there's a point to be made here. If you want to blame someone or some estate for the rise of Donald Trump, the blame does go to—and here's the list—CNN, MSNBC, Fox News— all three of those, which are the three major news cable um, institutions, they rode they, wrote, uh, they uh, Donald Trump to high uh, right. ratings. Right. Um, and if, you, if you don't know much about primaries, like why certain people win primaries, it has all to do with name recognition. Name recognition sure. The reason why Ted Cruz and, and didn't win the, Democ- uh, the
0: Republican primary— Marco Because tw- uh, no Jeff one knew who Bush. they were.
1: No one who— They knew Jeb Bush,
0: but Jeb yeah, Bush probably I mean, you don't talk about— Bush fatigue. And that was his, Bush fatigue, yeah. I mean, you talk about all these questions we yeah. had when George W. Bush became president about, do we are we the kind of country that has right. just uh, dynasties? Right. And, and we are not. Right. I mean, that's the, that right. question was a loaded question. And so when Jeb Bush showed up, he was just a Bush too late. Right. He really was. The guy was articulate. Right. He, he had uh,
1: right. And I some think, things going for him. But, and I think maybe if Trump wasn't on that stage... Jeb Bush may have won because the, the money was behind him, you know, um, and usually wherever the money goes, usually that's who wins yeah, that's a lot of the times. But um, but really, and I say this often, it's, do you not realize that SNL had Donald Trump as a host, as a host yeah. during the Republican primary? We were talking about this the other day. And yeah. I think you have to, like... Think about that for a second, because we may have forgotten this. Right. But all of these groups of people who right now are actually continuing to use Trump as as a ratings, uh, they the, the name Donald Trump right. causes ratings to go up because either you hate him or you love him, and you're just kind of drawn to the content. And um, and so this is this where we are is is, is now that people are like well. You know, we just want to go back to normal. It's like, you know, I wonder what these news shows are gonna, what they're gonna realize when we get back to normal. Like SNL won't be as interesting when it comes to political humor because what I mean, Biden's not all that funny as a as a personality or a character. Um, and what are the CNN and the MSNBC and Fox News gonna do when Trump's not easily there to just drive ratings. Right. You know, they're going to probably become less relevant or less—their sure. ratings are going to go down, just with Trump leaving the stage. Right. Because the reality show, in a sense, on November the 3rd will be canceled.
0: Yes. Yep. Yeah.
1: If everything goes as expected. It will be canceled. It will be—you'll have the last hurrah, which is the last few months. Sure. But after that,
0: it's—you'll get what you asked for, which is normalcy. Right. Right, and, and uh, it, it's actually a documented fact that, uh, for instance, late night talk shows, uh, Jimmy Fallon and, uh, and all yeah, the – Colbert. These, and, Colbert, yeah. they all, all their ratings have gone up when there has been an uh, opposition party right. uh, in power because it's a foil. I mean, you, right. you have a foil for your right. champion to come right. out against, right. and, and, and it, it has been provided, so we'll see. Like uh, half of uh, Weekend Update on SNL this past week, was all like Trump jokes. Well, yes, yeah. and, and I mean, some of the things that I read, I, I think there is fatigue associated with that too. There's only so long right. we can run on about this. Uh, it's not interesting anymore. I mean, right. it, it's, this is not, it's not as if there are um, multiple kinds of jokes. Uh, Donald Trump's got a pretty straightforward kind of persona, and he doesn't have a lot of different tricks. He's just bold. He's just got a mallet, and he just hits things, mostly. Um, And and so the the jokes are tired in a lot of ways. So we'll see see. what happens. Um, But let's transition to where we are today, Matt. Uh, Is the Supreme Court too Catholic is a question by Matthew J. Frank there in the Wall Street Journal as well. Um, the numbers, let me, let me just, I, I didn't know these specific numbers. If Amy Coney Barrett is appointed, uh, uh, as is expected, the court will have six Catholics, mm-hmm. two Jews, and one Anglican. And do you know, who is the Anglican? I don't know. I mean, be, we're going to assume,
1: not to, to use uh, nationality or, or race, but the Hispanic, I think there's three, Supreme. she's uh, Catholic. They're all three Catholic, right? Uh, no, I'm sorry, because it basically passed away. So you had uh, Samuel Lido, who's Hispanic. He's Catholic, I believe. Okay. And then Sonia Mayor, she's Catholic as well, I believe. So there's two that are Catholic. And I'm not sure where uh, Roberts is. Right, it might I be think, John Roberts. Okay, John Roberts. And I don't know where Clarence Thomas is. I th-
0: Yeah, I think he was in the picture as, as Catholic, a Catholic. Yeah, which um, I was
1: surprised. I didn't think Clarence Thomas would be Catholic.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well you know, uh, one thing just to be straightforward about is that uh, religion, and, and in particular, uh, Christian uh, kind of denomination is very driven by your nationality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that, that just happens a lot. Um, and so, Roberts th- is Catholic. And Thomas
1: is Catholic. I'm looking at this picture. Uh-huh. Um, and I guess, is that Kavanaugh? He, yeah, he's Catholic
0: as well? Brett Kavanaugh yep. is Catholic as well.
1: Yep. Okay.
0: And so that, that just happens that way. Yeah. Um, but it is a little bit surprising given the history of the country. To that was fascinating. That we'll history. have six Catholics yeah. uh, at present. And uh, there was a statistic that they had that um, of all the Catholics who have ever served on the Supreme Court, the vast majority of them have happened in the last, say, 30 years. Yeah. It was, um, but it, It's a little bit, you have to know a little bit about the history of this country to understand that and, and the backdrop to this question uh, that the country was quite Protestant. Yes, uh, in, very much so. In its background, uh, a lot of, there, there are many ways you can tell the American story. I often like to think about um, Jamestown and Plymouth Mm -hmm. There have always been two strong drives in America. Uh, Jamestown, in my mind, is represented by a a lot of desire for wealth, desire for, you know, look, Europe had been a really rough place for a couple hundred years, Uh, Protestant Catholic wars, uh, people being pushed around for different sorts of, mostly being pushed around for different sorts of Christianity, especially uh, less. Um, state-oriented versions of Christianity, such as Baptists, were Mm -hmm. not doing, uh, were not uh, allowed in a lot of Europe uh, during these times, and so that's why there is much more of a presence of Baptists and Mm -hmm. Methodists, uh, certain sorts uh, of less establishment kinds of Christian denominations in this country, and uh, particularly we talk about a lot in the presidency that there was that conflict of interest about Catholics Especially when you know, look, if, if Catholics are part of a hierarchical structure, isn't it a, a reasonable question to say, can, can we have a president who is Catholic, given that he would answer to the Pope, yeah. but also be the president? Yeah.
1: Yeah. There's an interesting episode, you brought the West Wing earlier, there's an interesting episode of the West Wing. Uh, Season one, I believe, where there is a, you've probably seen this episode because you watched a few of them, but Mm there is a man on death row and there is a Supreme Court case and they um, upheld the execution. And so basically the only way that these lawyers for him were able to prevent the execution was to convince the president to uh, suspend the execution. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a scene where there's a conversation between, I don't know if it's Leo, the chief of staff, uh, or it's actually, I think it's Charlie, his kind of his his right-hand man, uh, his, uh said, hey, I'd like for you to, uh, I'd like to have a conversation with the Pope. And so you, it, it brings up this fascinating issue of, yeah. you've got this issue, of you've got this, this, this issue that a president can make a decision on, and he, right. go, he calls the Pope. And the thought of any, non-Catholic is, ah, there you go. The Pope's gonna make this sure. decision and basically tell the president what to do because of the hierarchy within the mm-hmm. Catholic structure and stuff, and I think that's always kind of been the thought of, when, I know Kennedy was the first Catholic president, but he wasn't the first Catholic to run for president. Al, Al Smith was the first Catholic in New York to run for higher office. Um, and uh, it's always kind of been in the minds of a predominantly Protestant country And for many Protestants who left, as you were talking about Europe, because of Catholic aggression, Mm -hmm. um, to come to the New World to have freedom of religion. Right. Right. To America is, I believe America is like one of the first countries or nations to establish that as a
0: foundational value. Right, yeah. It's easy (laughs) for us to forget that so many of European countries still to this day have state religions, and a lot of them are Yes. Germany I mean, has a state religion, right? German Lutheran.
1: Uh, Sweden, the right. Swedish Lutheran Church. Uh, England, okay. uh, church. Italy, right? <laughs> I mean, a lot of European countries, not most if not all of them. Russia, uh, Greece, all these European countries that we go, like, oh yeah, they're very secular. It's like, no, they have very established state religions. Um, and I think, I, I think. Re, re, different random times the prime minister of england will come out and say
0: we are a christian nation because right. of right the and, church of england and, and and it's used as a kind of a political maneuver yes. right because it's it's very convenient to say yeah. that sometime and it's very since we are accustomed to this idea of uh the church and state having separate spheres we consider that normal mm-hmm. uh, when in the western world it is not normal nor is it uh Nor is it normal in a lot of the Eastern world from the standpoint of, I mean, China has a religious stance. It is atheist. It's very much, yeah. And and freedom of religion in the model that we have lived with it uh, is is legitimately called an experiment. Uh, This is the way we do it. It has not been this way in a lot of other... Countries, still really and, yeah. in, in so many ways, you know that uh, I think most people, if they looked into it, uh, and if you could ask many people around the world, the question is: Having a state religion good for that religion? No, it mm-hmm. doesn't seem to be so. No, it does not promote people actually practicing that
1: right. religion.
0: Right, and it took us a long time in the Western world to figure that out. Right, uh, and uh, something much, I, I think. Uh, Usually forgotten. Um, it, it's like, and even in you know the circles that you and I have been in at say the seminary, there's a lot of talk about um, the Reformation and the good things that happened in the Reformation. The following 200 years were pretty rough in Europe. Yeah, a lot of strife. Right. Uh, you know, um, I remember when we were uh, we probably both uh, bought the same book called Theology of the Reformers, and it it covered. Uh, Luther and Calvin. Sympathy George, right? Uh, I can't remember if it was Sympathy George. Uh, Luther and Calvin, and then uh, Zwingli, Mm -hmm. Orrick Zwingli, and Menno Simons. And you want to talk about some variety in their stories. Uh, I think a lot of people love to talk about Luther and Calvin. Man, it worked out pretty well for them. Yeah. They lived uh, to write. Right. I mean,
1: Zwingli. Died at
0: old age, basically. You know, able to accomplish quite a few things. Right. But, I mean, a guy like Zwingli it was a little more aggressive, and then he decided maybe that's not a great idea to be so aggressive. And so he disarmed. He had been militant, and then he disarmed, and as soon as he disarmed, he was killed, killed yeah. by, by yeah. insurgent Catholics. Yeah, he said, right. oh, okay, great, we'll come in, and you're done. That's right. And his, so his story is much less um, happy, uh, and, and, and there are plenty of stories like that in those 200 years. Yeah. Even if you go
1: 100 years before that and talk about John Huss, who sure, yes. burned at the stake, right? right? And uh, I, I love how, like, because at, at Redeemer, we've been writing articles about the history of Re- Re- Reformation, but, like, kind of leading up October 31st. And so I was writing about John Huss and John Wycliffe and stuff, and, like, John Huss, like, you know, we get Luther gets a lot of credit, which yeah, he deserves a lot of credit, right? But these two guys, especially, That's deserve right. a lot of credit. That's right. Because they're the front runners, forerunners of this stuff, right? And especially John Huss, man, that boy, he got burned at the stake, doesn't recant right. from his views. And very no one talks about John Huss. Right. But there is no Luther without Wycliffe and, right. and Huss. And uh, these guys are fighting against.
0: And, and you know Against
1: the state religions, these guys are, the, are fighting against this. Way before it was, not, not, not only was, of course, when you get to 1700s, it's a little more popular to talk about that. But you're talking about, like, what, 1400s? Right. Not popular right. at whatsoever. And they died for saying, yeah, I don't think the Pope should have so much authority. It, and they literally funny, died.
0: Because in this moment, I think that um, all of us... Uh, Americans should own up to some of our inner Donald Trump when he says things like, "I like winners." Right. That's who I like. We all like winners. Right. Sure. These guys, there's no reason to tell the story and to be uh, there's there's so much hero worship of a Martin Luther or a John Calvin versus a John Huss or a, or a Wycliffe. It's just that their story is a lot happier and also it just turned out well for them. We love a happy story, sure. but these stories of sacrifice have got to be known and uh, celebrated uh, and, and often they are not or at least less so when really how can you, how can you celebrate less the story of people yeah. who gave their life for their cause? Yeah. <laughs> Um, so,
1: so that's th- a big deal. I think the issue I've had with, especially Democrats who have always kind of made this stance of like, um, in a sense, like, if you're going to be a Supreme Court judge, you have to basically be secular, right? In a sense, like you can be culturally religious, like yeah. most, even like, I know Diane Feinstein is probably Catholic. So is Joe Biden. So is, uh, so is um, uh, Pelosi. They're all yes, Catholic, yes, yeah. but they are, in a sense, their primary religion is secularism. They're mm-hmm. secular by... By right, conscious, right? But when it comes to traditions and kind of where they land culturally, they're Catholic. Right. And what you have is, in our country, especially that's different than India, which is primi- prim- primarily Hindu and actually is the state religion, mm-hmm. is Hinduism. It's not a religion of conscience, it's a religion of culture mm-hmm. and tradition, right? People are Hindu because that's what their parents are, and that's just culturally who they are. Mm-hmm. They don't make a conscious decision, like, I think I'm going to be Hindu today, right? Or I think I'm going to be Hindu now. But I think what you have with, especially in America, when you have, especially, you have people who believe in God and Jesus Christ and believe in the Bible, consciously they're making these decisions of faith. Um, And to say the state religion of the United States is secularism. Therefore, you cannot have a view of conscience that you believe in Catholicism. Because the, the argument is, we are, we're concerned that you will judge based off your conscience, mm-hmm. based off your faith. Yeah. We would prefer that you would ap- adhere to the state religion of secularism and that you would ho- put your religion at the door when you walk into the chamber when you wear that gown right. and you rule. We would prefer that you rule in regards to the state religion of America, which is secularism. And yeah. I think that what you have is this clash because people are saying separation of church and state. But what's really happening is, it's not actually separation of church and state. Actually what's being happening is, the state religion of America is secularism. Therefore, you need to hold to that religion and pers- privately in your own home,
0: you can have whatever faith you want. So, and that yeah. is the idea that some people seem to hold it. My, when I look at- Which is different, what, what's going on in India or China. Right. But there's two things that that I I think need to be said right now. Um, One is the American experiment looks to me like the goal was we want to set up a governmental sphere. We want to make certain propositions about protecting the right to... uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Right, And it wasn't this assertion, uh, it, it, it would have been nonsense uh, to assert in the 1700s that we are a, some sort of secular nation. I am not saying that they were asserting that we were a religious nation. Right. In a lot of ways, the way I view the founding of this country is kind of a don't ask, don't tell sort of, listen, we know people have hearts. We are just coming out of a time where you've literally had governments for a couple hundred years dragging people in front of kings and queens and saying, we are going to excavate your heart and find out where your loyalties lie. Right. And that's not gone well. Right. We don't want to play that game right. anymore. Right. We want to let people have their convictions, but we want to leave that space, and then we want to have government of laws. And so we won't ask questions that direction. We just want to say govern according to the laws, let people have freedom. Yeah. And, and we are now, we are certainly living in a time when we are reassessing that idea. Okay, you, you have to reassess every once in a while, but you cannot just assume that, well, it was a secular assumption then, because, this is the second thing, the very idea of is life sacred? How valuable is, is life? How valuable is, obviously, the abortion question, which is the big uh, question raised in this article, but how valuable is a homeless person's life? Is it as valuable as the president's life? And all of these questions, they right. are supercharged with the basic questions that are that life is made of. Mm-hmm. Well, if that person could live forever, mm-hmm. then that's one kind of life, right. and that means the life is a lot more valuable right. than if that person is just a bunch of cells that knew what to do right. and came into uh, that person there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so these questions are charged mm-hmm. and yes, it, it matters what people bring to the table on this, but in a lot of ways, I mean, sociologically, you could define um, faith, this, this term that we that seems completely only biblical sociologically, faith is just your highest trust. Right, exactly. Whatever is the most trustworthy thing in your life, if you view that as yourself, right. well, then you have faith in yourself. Right. And, and that has been uh, something that if, if, if people want to know more where you or I stand on this, this is something we've talked about a lot mm-hmm. in, in, in this podcast, is about, look, uh, it didn't seem so maybe for a while, but it is very clear now that secularism uh, is a religion that yes. the basic tenets uh, are playing out yep. and that it is, it is based upon, look, I have determined according to what I trust, here's, how, here's what humans ought to be able to do, yep. here's how what restrictions they should and shouldn't have. And so that, that issue is alive now right. in this country. And so there are uh, various religious viewpoints that are, that are playing out And they will continue to. I mean, this is the future is to tease all of this out to see where it's all going. And so long story short, uh, I think that it is not so simple as to go, well, this strange idea that if you examine it is really a strange idea to say, well, people can hold their religious viewpoints in private. But in public, nobody gets it. It's like that's not that's nonsense. That's nonsense. How valuable that you think a human is? Yeah. You just hold that in private. That's in, in public, you just don't operate yeah. off that. It's like no. The, because, how valuable yeah. you think a human is determines how you treat everybody. Because the people, who,
1: if you ask that question, you're you're in a sense being a hypocrite because I would not expect that you, as a pol- politician, when you argue for laws are arguing based off pure like none of my conscious or, or beliefs or worldview has anything to do with this. That makes mm-hmm. no sense. Like that right. makes you non-human. Right. We did not elect a non-human to right. sit in that right. chair. We, act, we elected a human who has a worldview, who has values and beliefs. And I would assume if we put you there that you would you would govern with those values. And if, if I didn't want you to use those, I wouldn't elect you or I wouldn't. So it, it's just absurd to say, Um, you can't have your values and beliefs and worldview. You have to be purely almost robotic, non-human to be a computer. Well, and just analyzes a law and then spits out an
0: opinion. Like that makes no sense. Right. One, one story, uh, that needs to be examined is this myth, this this high story right now of neutrality. That there's people out there right. who can be trusted because they're so neutral. Yeah. That is just not, I don't know if you've met humans, if you think there are all these neutral people out there who can be trusted to just judge impartially on these enormous weighty issues.
1: Typically, <laughs> that is easiest work, and it's so, it's just a negative word, but sociopaths can probably be neutral, <laughs> but we're not going to put a sociopath in the Supreme Court, right? Right. I mean,
0: like, yeah, you know, there's like, you know, there's a baby laying out in the road, and you go, well, we want a neutral guy here to yes. figure out, well, well, these people are trying to get somewhere. We yes. should ask a lot of questions right. about whether that we should just, right. you know, should we stop traffic? I'm so neutral about this. No, it's, we're not neutral about these things, right. nor should we be. Right. Um, and so, that is an overblown example just to illustrate the point that. Everybody has biases. Right. I trust somebody who, one, knows their biases, and two, is honest about them, rather than thinking, oh, that, that, it, that it makes any sense to think there are people out there who go, well, I keep my deepest viewpoints private and I don't let them affect my public life. Well, that's right. just nonsense. Right. Nobody actually does that.
1: Right, and it's so anti, you know, I know humanism is a, is a, you know, somewhat of a, you talk about secularism and even humanism is a very popular viewpoint in philosophy. It's also anti-humanistic to go, you're a human and you have values and beliefs and background. We're going to want you to check those out the door and be non-human. That's it's so anti-humanistic. Right. Like it just doesn't – there's just so much contradiction going on. Right. And I think it comes to an, uh, an, kind of a, an issue, and I was going to ask you this. So do you think that the – do you think that the Republicans in the Senate should vote on – Amy, uh, what's your name? Coney Barrett. Yeah, Connie Barrett.
0: Um, the long story short on that is, to me, is this: uh, one, uh, I think that the way our system was designed, Barack Obama was owed a Senate appointment. Or, I'm sorry, a Supreme Court appointment. Sure. I think through uh, political manipulation, he didn't get it. Uh, this is one of those situations. A lot of times, I'm a spirit of the law. First letter of the law, second right. the kind of guy, and the spirit of the law was Barack Obama should have gotten that appointment. That's just right. one of those things. And 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 the reason I, I say that, and so then I would it's just simple to me. Donald Trump should get this appointment, cut and dried, clear. I, I say that because for a while we've been not legislating, mm-hmm. which means all of this culture change in our country has been working through the Supreme Court. Court. Yeah. And, and you know, give the presidents their due as well. The executive orders, you know, I mean, uh, probably the biggest one during George W. Bush's administration was the extensive power given to CIA, FBI, yep. just spy on right. uh, just Patriot buy on, Acts and things like right, that, yeah, just spy on uh, people, uh, just everyday citizens. And then during Barack Obama's administration, obviously, uh, same-sex marriage, uh, and then Obamacare to a degree. I mean, that was uh, Even that was be- legislation. Yeah. Uh, I guess we can say that was, that, that, that was legislation.
1: And, the, and I think even Obama took it to even the next step with you know a lot of the um, um, the uh, drone strikes, sure. against sure. Uh, terrorists in the Middle East. even if they were Americans, there was an argument about that. like right. the due process, you know, a predator drone doesn't do due process <laughs> to strikes. right. So there was just and a president, can, in a sense, as an executive. Can initiate that without even going through any type of right. due process or going through a law system or going through Congress or anything like that. Right. So
0: and so I I am um, very very disheartened and I have a lot of concerns about the when when I continue to see um, political machinations manipulating the system, manipulating the system. That yes, it, it is. Uh, not moving quickly right now but to me our system looks like it was designed when you have a situation where you have somewhere near 50% of the people who want to go one direction and somewhere near 50% of the people who want to go another direction our system seems to me to have been designed to go well we're not going anywhere then right. and that's what not been good enough uh, for a lot of people and so then all these machinations have been developed and then on, on both sides there have been oh, well, if you're going to do that, then I'm going to do this. Yep. And Took right youọc. now, the, the newest one is, is this discussion about packing the court. Right. And that is another... It's not f- the
1: first time this has happened. FTR packed the court to
0: get his new deal passed. It's like a, not a new concept of a president packing the court. And, and that yeah. is another to me, mm-hmm. another manipulation mm-hmm. that uh, I think is unwise. Um, and, and so I just want to stay away from that from the standpoint of I think the system was designed pretty well, and I don't, I don't see, most of the time, what you see happening. And, and, and even this has been discussed on packing the court. Well, if a Democrat uh, was to pack the court in the next four years, well, then you should Paul expect a China. Republican will do yeah. the same thing after that, right. and then where are we? Yeah. We can keep on twisting every knob and going, I'm getting my way for four years, so well then, right. wait, just wait. Right. And that's what we've seen over and over and over again. And what has resulted in is more polarized politics. Uh, less of not just people in Washington being able to get along, uh, people in their everyday lives right no longer, are in in many cases, able to have civil conversations, um, and so that's that's where I am on that issue. Uh, what about you?
1: Yeah, I, I think this is uh, you know you were saying like the you know following the law on this. You know the the Constitution gives the right of a president to nominate uh, a Supreme Court justice, and the Supreme Court must approve it. The Senate must approve it. Senate, what did I say? Supreme Court. Yes, the Senate must approve uh, the nomination. Um, It seemed like President Obama nominated uh, Judge Garland, and then Mitch McConnell and the Republicans, who had the majority in the Senate at the time, chose not to... Approve him, right. and then said nominate someone else. And Obama said, "Well, I'm not nominating anyone else." And there was that kind of like just that tug of war. Right. Then the election happened. Um, I do, I do actually agree with the argument that um, since the Senate is majority Republican, there's really nothing Democrats can do to stop it, right? And there is no written mandate or guideline by which a Supreme Court who a judge who passes away during an election. So it somehow needs to wait to the next president to nominate. He's still the president. Right. Therefore, he has the right to nominate someone. And the Supreme Court has the right to approve it if they want to. Um, and and I think what you're seeing is, is that President Trump is, even if he loses in November, is going to basically leave a legacy in his four years of basically putting uh, – three conservative justices on the court. And that actually will probably be what Trump is remembered the most right. for. It'll be, yes. It I mean, would, that's a huge amount in four years. It would be
0: very difficult to um, think of any uh, effect that he has had that will be bigger than yep. that.
1: Um, we have no idea what those judges will actually rule right, on certain issues. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, Judge, Judge Roberts was nominated by George W. Bush and has gone the other way on a lot of important cases. That, has caused some Republicans
0: to pull their hair. Right. Um, I mean, because Anthony Kennedy was nominated yeah. by Ronald Reagan, right? Who right? was expected to be a conservative overall. And while Nothing he literal. wasn't predictably right. liberal on everything, Anthony Kennedy, is this was the discussion for years there right. that he was responsible. Literally, right. this is a wild thing in this country to think about. Since there was a 4-4 divide, <laughs> Anthony Kennedy is the one man in this country responsible for things yeah. like. Same-sex marriage, in in the sense that he was the guy holding I mean, the lever. That's right. He could have left the lever down, or yep. he could have raised it up, and that's he right. chose to let things like that through. And Anthony mm-hmm. Kennedy had that had that uh, mm-hmm. option multiple times, yeah. and uh, he was a pretty unpredictable vote. Yeah. And and so that that was the case for quite a while. Um, and so uh, one thing in this article to say is that um, I don't know. I didn't agree with his characterization. You know, one of the things he says in here is opposition to Catholic nominees has been mainly about the politics of abortion, not their religious faith. That is um, this Two spheres mindset that I, I think I see in him that I, I disagree with. That, look, um, if you think, and, and as many conservatives do, that that is a human being that exists mm-hmm. and yes, I yes, there are a lot of discussions, that, and, 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 and in the life of our churches, there is much to be done to help people who are in difficult situations. But if that's a human life, well, then that's a, that's a question we need to deal with. Right. What, what do we do about the fact that there's now a human life, right? Uh, not a bundle of cells. I mean, that's the debate, right? And so, to, to start out character is characterizing the debate in this way. Well, it's not about uh, the fact that they're Catholic. It's about their position on abortion. abortion. It's exactly what we were talking about earlier. That well, look, if God is the designer of life, well, then that life has meaning. Yeah. And if if not, if the only people that we have to please are human beings, then that makes a very different world. Yeah. If if the only things that exist are cells and uh, and bodies and dirt—that uh, yeah. that makes a whole different world. Yeah. Not, and it's not even just about uh, eternal life and questions like we often talking about. About am I going to go to heaven when I die? Well, look, it, no. It, it makes every day of our life mean more right now, if. If Jesus came, if Mm -hmm. if if God cares enough about people to send His Son to die, that's a big deal. That's (laughs) that's what we talk about all the time. It's a big deal, and so if human life is worth that much, well, that establishes a whole different thing. It does. Then just oh, are we just cells floating around on this by chance on this rock?
1: Right. Right. Yeah, I, I think to to even restrict Roe v. Wade or abortion to simply a religious argument. Is, is there is a legal argument towards this? If if it is alive, then there's a Fourteenth Amendment. There's an equal rights clause right, to right. this. There's a legal argument to be made to say that this human in the in the in the womb of a mother has rights that are equal to the mother. Right. Well, therefore, right. there's a legal argument to be made, and a, and a judge, especially a judge sitting on the Supreme Court, is required to make that argument and right. to and to say legally uh, as a legal scholar and as someone who is as the position of an Associate Supreme Court Justice or Chief Justice, I have to argue the law. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that goes be, even beyond religion. Mm-hmm. Um, it goes against even legal understanding that you know, people have equal rights in this country. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, oh, the judge ought to defend the rights of people. Right. Um, and, and so there's, there's so much to this. And I think restricting it to simply what is your position on Roe v. Wade? Or what is your, how does your religious faith affect your your non partial or neutral view on Roe v. Wade? Um, is, is is so unfortunate, and and hopefully we can we can we can get back to where judges can make legal arguments to issues like this. There's a legal argument based off the Constitution that the child in the mother's womb has rights as an American. Sure. And therefore, we need to protect those rights.
0: Well, and this is the central tension, uh, in my view, in the Democratic Party. The central, uh, if for anybody who considers yourself a Democrat, I mean, I consider myself an independent. I think there is a tension in the Republican Party as well. But first of all, in the Democratic Party, that you have got to feel a tension between supposedly your party stands for the oppressed and in a lot of cases, the Democratic Party does make that yeah. a part of their platform. Sure. But in 1964, there were, was uh, action by Lyndon Johnson, a Democrat, right. to give rights to African American folks who had been oppressed. Right. And that set off uh, a, a method uh, of changing the way governance happens uh, through Roe v. Wade, which the science, I mean the, the, the science of what our understanding of is happening in the womb has grown so much since then, which right. is a big part of why this right. is an issue and it was right. not expected to be an issue, but all the way through things that we are experiencing now, like uh, gay marriage, which was pushed through in, in a similar way that that, that trajectory of, of doing politics Started uh, there in in 1964, but the central tension there in the Democratic Democratic Party is, okay, if oppressed peoples have rights, what about this this people? And and we do not live in this moment where uh, the Democratic Party is saying, well, we've drawn a a a line somewhere to say the three-month mark when certain a certain level of complexity is reached. Beyond that, no, there is no line, and the line. Is being pushed more towards viability, uh, all under under discussion about well, this is the autonomy of this person. We cannot infringe upon their rights. Uh, and, and and there, I know there are people who want to have discussions there, but there is this fundamental discussion related to okay. But if you are for oppressed peoples, this is a this is a people who is in danger. Right. Uh, small people. Very yeah. small people. Uh, now, yeah. now, meanwhile, before we get too far away from it, yes, I think there is tension in, in yeah. the Republican Party about, well, uh, the rich are getting richer. Yes, that's a big, that's a big issue. Right. The rich are getting very richer. We yes. are seeing new heights. Yeah. And meanwhile, the messaging is mostly, what about people who don't have? Well, they should try harder. That's mostly the message. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's a tension. Yeah, absolutely. There, so that, that exists in there. Uh, there. I would go so far as to say that uh, in both of these parties there are there are gospels there are, there are here here's how here's how people get better according to this party I think the Democratic gospel is uh, if we give people another chance they'll do better I just don't think that's always true I don't yeah. think that's always true but I think that the Republican gospel in a lot of ways is well uh, if if people really try hard they'll make it I don't, certainly don't think that's always true either right and right. so um, there's a great. I, I wanted to.
1: Um, I, I said this to you all back. I mean, it was a few weeks ago. I, hopefully, I did. Uh, there's a book that I, would be an interesting book to read to talk about. Uh, the book called uh, Dominion by Tom Holland. Okay. And he's an historian um, who writes. He's not a Christian, but he writes about the effects of Christianity on the Western world. Mm-hmm. And in his last chapter, I, I kind of went ahead because I really wanted to get to kind of a modern understanding of what's going on. He argues it in a very effective way that what's going on in America today really is two groups of people, basically clashing over the same idea. Um, That actually is, which is completely so interesting, is because a lot. I think one group may identify it as coming from Christianity, but the other group probably would totally ignore that fact. But even within this pro-life, pro-choice argument. Uh, you've got an understanding of of really Christian concepts yeah. that are being affected here. Right. Um right. Americans who are pro-life um, are are understanding the the value uh, of of all lives, uh, including the life in the mother's womb, and, and Christian history proves this as well. Like Christians in the early in the Roman Empire were the ones who would, you know, adopt or, or, or rescue infants that were left to die, right? right. This was a, a habit of right. them. They right. saw the right. importance right. in the ancient world never valued right. life that was, wasn't was wanted, right? Right. If it, right? If it wasn't wanted, then therefore let it die. What's right. the point of protecting it? Um, that concept of, of protecting the oppressed is a Christian value. Right. So you That's have right. two different groups actually saying, well, what about the, what about the mother's oppression? Right. What about... What about poor people and their oppression? All you right. care about is the baby, of the womb. You don't even care about the people who actually are living right. and, and walking and are, are also being oppressed. All you care about is the baby. Right. Okay, that's a valid argument to make. I think it's an interesting. I think it brings up the idea that Republicans only care about the womb. They don't care about poor people that are living, and so you've got two different groups of people actually using the same sure. c- concepts. Yeah. Um, And I think, especially for Christians, I think this is helpful for us to, yes, we need to argue for the sanctity of life in the womb, Mm -hmm. but also recognize that people who are also still poor, weak, and needy, Jesus came and and served them as well. And I think we as Christians can be pro-life for the womb and also pro-life after the womb and work through that and not be so focused so much on the womb and then totally ignore. Sure. What Democrats are trying to identify as, hey, you have a blind spot. Your blind spot is you only care about the womb and you don't care about what's going on yeah. in the streets. Yeah. I think that's a valid argument to sure. be made. I think it's a good sure. point to be made. Um, but also Democrats who are focused on the, the, those who are on the streets that are oppressed, don't forget about the oppressed one in the womb either. Right, sure. And I think yeah. both groups have blind spots. Sure. And I don't think they're recognizing their blind spots. And so um, this idea of pro-life, pro-choice and the judges who rule on these issues um, are important, right? And it is a major issue in the United States. And I think there's an article in the Wall Street Journal that I would encourage anyone to read. Uh, maybe I'll, I can post it somewhere. But it talks about the complexity of normal Americans' views on abortion. Sure it's complicated. Right. It's not as black and white as we like to think it is. Oh, you're pro-choice, oh, you're pro-cho- sure. pro-life. It's very more complicated in that matter. And so, um, it's interesting, a, a law passed in 1974 is still such a hot button issue years and
0: years later in yeah. 2020, and I think it will
1: continue to be a hot button issue going Absolutely. forward,
0: so. Yeah, so, uh, long story short, uh, I can, i said that a lot today, I think. Uh, I do think the presidential election, I think that there are undecided people. I think we would be surprised to talk to people. And and uh, the answer, I think, a lot of times is people value politics low in their life, in a a low amount, that (laughs) they just don't focus on it that much. And so, yes, I think there are still undecided people. I've seen some statements in the last few days, you know, I'm remembering that every election in my lifetime has been called the most important election for a generation. Yes, there, there's always overblowing about this. In a lot of ways, the country will go on uh, either way, no matter what the opinion no, class is. have a choice, tells. right? <laughs> right, and, and you know, we've, we've got a lot to sort out, and, and, and I think that one thing to say even here is that we do live in a democracy. If you, uh, one, look, look into your local politics, that stuff matters, uh, you can affect your, county your city yeah. you really can and yeah. and some of this stuff gets so overblown that we will write uh, write votes for people you don't talk about name recognition i thought about uh, looking at our our school board uh yeah listen to school what yeah those people pick curriculums that your kids will learn from at yeah. school and right now curriculum is a battle right right now. absolutely uh, and so look into that stuff don't right. just get so consumed by these national elections that will in a lot of ways not affect your life as much as you think it will meanwhile right. this stuff Uh, that is local will affect your life much more and you don't think it will very much so so
1: let me ask you jackson as we conclude are you undecided oh goodness (laughs) gracious so let me say this i'll answer first as you think okay i was less undecided until the debate (laughs) to the debate between trump and biden and then i was moved back to the undecided. Oh,
0: right, it doesn't look good. There's um, not a good, I, I, I'll start by saying this, there's not a good choice that I can see. No. Uh, I, uh, I wrote in a candidate last election. I, I may write in a candidate this election. I, I, yeah, I guess I am still undecided. And uh, there are not good choices right now. Mm-hmm. There are not, so we'll see. Um, so yeah, you go. Thankfully,
1: well, not thankfully, uh, just reality. We live in a state, of Indiana, which most likely will go to Trump. And so it makes so, our decision so make a, a lot one. less uh, important. Sure. I guess but if we lived in like Florida, Pennsylvania, right. Michigan, uh, right. Ohio, potentially, the decision would be kind of like, all right, you know, this, the election may come down to a few thousand people mm-hmm. or a few. Um, so, anyways, but uh, anyways, yeah, I was, I was going to ask you that question to see where you were. And uh, yeah. I'm kind
0: of in the same boat. <laughs> I guess we have what, five more weeks until uh, we find out? And the, yeah, the early voting
1: has already started in Indiana. Yep. And the debate on October the 5th, uh, there was a debate on October the 15th that just got canceled. Right. Uh, because it was going to be virtual. And we don't and know Trump if there is. will be a third debate, right? Well, yeah. We'll, a third debate. Then yeah. We don't know if there will be a second debate. Now. If, if I'm Biden, I wouldn't have another debate.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Why, hey, goodness. Yeah. I don't think the American people need one.
1: No. So maybe, the, maybe Pence and right, Pablo Harris get there. can again. have another, them some another debate. We could, I, you know Pence what? needs a non-fly <laughs> debate. And he's a, he a dude that it. That, That's that just, why, man. Yeah. i tell you. i tell you.
0: Uh, you know, those... Uh, the country would watch if they just brought Mike Pence and Kamala Harris out and then asked them about everyday stuff. You know, what's your favorite sitcom you've ever watched? Right. Or, you know, what's your favorite movie? And right. what do you think about pickles? You know, people, people yeah. would be interested in that sort of stuff. I'm
1: thinking Kamala Harris is like a law and order kind of girl.
0: I wonder. I wonder what she would say.
1: S, yeah, no, like uh, six. What, it S, SVU or... She's yeah. multifaceted. I mean, you know, yeah. she's
0: got that law and order side, but yeah. she's very far on the left. I mean, who knows? Yeah, yeah I, maybe I'm interested. Maybe the people she was, want to know. No, people want to know what <laughs> Mike Pence watches. I'm going to get Seventh Heaven. Yeah, meanwhile, what does Mike Pence
1: <laughs> yeah, watch? Just, I know, I'll tell you. He, he watches old CW shows. C-SPAN.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb and say C-SPAN, C-SPAN 2, C-SPAN 3. <laughs> we find out
1: that he, like, loves Walking Dead or something. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I seriously do
1: Yeah, he (laughs) eats popcorn and and really just binge-watches Walking Dead, you know, so. Well, this has been Empires of the Future. Absolutely. And we'll see you in the future. See you in the future. Yeah. Yeah.